we had one company, which I'm not going to name, um, they just closed a round, and they were advised to spend half of their round to build out an office space. And it's like, that's what? absurd. Like, <laughs> that money's for growth. That money's to, yeah. you know, develop your product. Okay, guys, welcome to Bloomex Podcast. Um, today, we have a great shout-out to mention. Um, shout-out to MCRO for becoming a continuing sponsor for the, for the podcast. So this episode and a future episodes is going to be brought to you by MCRO, who enables businesses to grow through handcrafted digital solutions of the future. MCRO is a web and mobile app development studio with a competent, dedicated, and experienced team focused on solving business challenges through fast-to-market and producing high-performance digital products. If you're looking to turn your destructive ideas into reality or have a reliable strategic tech partner to explore options with uh, for your existing work or for new work, reach out to us and we'll make the introduction for MCRO and you can have the conversation over a coffee or a bone shaker IPA, your choice. Perfect. Ari, thank you for coming on to Boomex podcast. Thanks for having me on. Right. Um, so right off the bat, I mean, you're, you're one of the f like, few guests that we've had on that we haven't already had a personal relationship before. Like everyone else like, came out of an accelerator center, came out of a professional network that kind of knew us. Um, you, when you reached out, when we reached out to you, were very open on coming on. So thank you for that. Um, and yeah, you're coming from a capacity of like a, a pretty serious, uh, pretty, pretty large enterprise that's focused heavily on innovation. And I'm really interested in hearing more of your take of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Right. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Like, will you tell us something about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. For <coughs> Uh, yeah, for sure. My name is Ari Laniato. Yeah. Um, so I'm with Colliers right now, mm -hmm. working on their tech advisory services side. Uh, my background was not within commercial real estate, which is very much the role I'm currently taking on. Uh, I was more on the tech side, working with startups, uh, then on the innovation side of other large corporates, and kind of merged over here. It's It's been phenomenal to kind of have the resources of a large company, which is something you definitely lack uh, at an earlier stage. Mm -hmm. And so I've liked being able to merge that with kind of the innovation focus, which I think Colors is putting at the forefront of their business. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you're currently involved in like a, almost like a prop tech accelerator. Is that currently under your portfolio? or It's not something I oversee at no, all. No, um, I don't have okay. any real involvement uh, other than just kind of going to the, the meetings, understanding the, the kind of focus as a sector that we have. Yeah. Um, it's very much at a high level. The mandate is kind of, we need to innovate. We need to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. So with all fronts, same with my team, it's kind of, that's why we were formed. Okay. Um, and so it's very much, that's just another side of, they know in order to stay relevant 10 years from now, you know, the industry is changing every day. Uh, property, while it's, it's taken a little longer to get there, it's, it's going the same way that FinTech was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's, it's going to be disrupted immensely and they want to be on the forefront of that. No, definitely. I mean, when you say, when you were, we were talking already about the PropTech accelerator, I mean, that really grabs attention about what that is. But what, what exactly uh, falls under your purview? What do you, what do you do there? So the tech advisory services team is basically focused on supporting and facilitating the growth of tech companies across their workspace. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at, you know, the cost breakdown for a tech company, you're putting 19 to 1 on talent to mm -hmm. the cost of a workspace. Okay. But workspace is probably the most important piece to attract the right talent, to retain the talent. Um, how your company flows and operates. And so we do a couple things. One being, once you're at a certain size, usually around you know, 10,000 square feet, you can really come in and optimize how your, your company is set up, how your, you know, the workflows and all that, and utilization. Our team that um, we work with, I'm not on, 
his uh, workplace strategy. Okay. So Jeff Gwinnett internally heads up kind of a team that's very focused on data-driven recommendations for how to optimize your workspace. So well, that's that's kind of a that's very interesting because you don't spend a lot of time thinking about that usually. Exactly. Like how yeah. is it about actual design or is it the information IoT? It's a bit of everything. So like there's tools now that you can track the utilization, the movement um, of actual spaces, and so that can then you be used to make data-driven decisions to optimize your space in the future, but also you take all the data from previous groups um, and similar sectors, and you can kind of combine that into you know, future recommendations for other companies as well. Um, but it's very much you're, you're moving around work models, how the offices are laid out, structured. You know, it's things as simple as the number of boardrooms, the number of meeting rooms. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you have the, the IT and the tech that goes into these meeting rooms and what you require. Yeah. I mean, for, for a business owner, that could seem a lot like, you know, burning money at a management service, right? Like, it's like, okay, why is it so effective? Is there a cost measurement on like, if this kind of thinking, like what is the ROI on like deploying that kind of? Oh, for sure. Like they have phenomenal return on investment yeah. because when you think about the cost of talent, the cost of training and the cost of, you know, mm -hmm. retention loss, um, it's a huge benefit to have a workspace. And right now you have to have a workspace that's competitive and attracts the right people. Yeah, um, it's. I definitely think tech has also accelerated that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of all these new spaces that have more of like a communal, you know, fun atmosphere, and that's become more and more important. Yeah, you know, you're not getting the top talent if you've got a cubicle layout. Um, nobody's coming to you. Like they're going to, you know, in Toronto, the, the Googles, the top hats. Yeah, even the WeWorks. Like Coworking's done a phenomenal job of creating that environment. Yep. and then able to package and you know provide it to companies at a large scale. Yeah, definitely. So I got kind of. Um, introduced this element of it. So a few years ago, I was working at an engineering company. I was heading this department they had for smart lighting, LED mm -hmm. lighting. So these light panels were like, like super thin panels that can replace fluorescent bulbs, fluorescent uh, in offices, the fluorescent uh, bulbs in offices. And um, with them, I mean, they're so low voltage that you can actually power them over ethernet, mm -hmm. right? So that was, at that time when I was there, that's heading toward the curve. I think it's there now where like these now, office lights can be powered over Ethernet cables and sort of conduits that run into a server that provides both power and gets feedback from it. And you could have like sensors built into the lights that can detect like you know who's who, not just like people there motion sense on and off, but actually detect in detail where people are, almost like a radar, right? Um, and then you can even even program him to do um, Wi-Fi, so Wi-Fi over over light, right? So light the LED lights can be turned off like thousands of times a second. And through that beam, um, like almost like a thousand uh, gigabytes per second of data, right? If all you need is like a, like a receptor that uh, connects to your computer that can convert the light into data, and boom, you have hyper fast internet within the within the office space. Yeah, phenomenal. And these kind of construction designs came into place, right? Like Philips, GE, they were talking about implementing this, and everybody else watching for the curve for the ROI price point to go catch up right point where you can actually start selling this, right? And I left the company before it got that interesting, Okay. Gotcha. right? But I'm like, there's a lot we can do in the office space about collecting data and all that. But the application of that, I mean, that seems very interesting, right? Like, what do you do with all that data? Like, you know where people go and where they talk to and congregate now. Is that almost like spying or is it more, where does it go? Where does that data go? the whole security, yeah. you know, versus a benefit. Yeah. Um, I think also even like just on a larger scale, Cyborg Labs is now talking about you know, implementing tracking across the entire environment. Mm -hmm. So wherever you go, you know, you're going to be tracked. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, there, there's protections in place. You're not, you don't know who the individual is. You're just looking at the movement and you're looking at a macro scale. 
So you're, you're not seeing, oh, you know, you know, Gerald wasn't at his desk this afternoon. Like, we're going to talk to him. It's more understanding how the flow of the office works. Mm -hmm. You know, if people do want, you know, a dedicated desk space or maybe they want a floating model. And it's just finding, like, in, is it by a team-to-team -team basis of, yeah. like, how that work style functions. It's almost like, a, like a, your office works as a co-working space where you, where you book, your own, book a meeting space. Book a the book room, uh, boardroom if you need it. You kind of float around if you need it. Yeah, need to right. Yeah, it's very much and like depending on the company, depending on the sector, depending on the mm -hmm. team. Like, you know, you can't have your development team moving desks every day. Like they're yeah, fixed. They're dedicated. Yeah, um, but there's certain teams like sales. Like you can have those guys floating. They don't. They're not all in the office. You know, Monday to Friday. It's, and it's good for them to know other departments and have personal relationships with them and understand their pain points. For sure. Yeah, right. and then you're connecting with the company as a whole, and it creates more of the community as well. Like there's all these little benefits that kind of just Depends yeah. uh, how innovative the company wants to be with their workspace. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, Deloitte made headlines for their workspace. They're one of the biggest companies to completely redesign yeah. the way their office spaces uh, are designed and operate, mm -hmm. right? Where literally, like, an entry-level uh, entry like uh, analyst could be sitting right next to the CEO and working. Yeah. And it just kind of inspires that kind of workspace. And you float around and work wherever, and you don't know who you're going to run into. For sure, yeah. Right? So... I mean, what's the design element? Like, what's the justification? The design, I mean, is one thing, right? The, the intervention collective is another thing, but like, what justifications go to implement a design? Let's say, um, is it like you want people to kind of bump each other to have that discovery, or what is like the best practices, I guess? Yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like, I, I would uh, love to mention to Jeff uh, this podcast and see if you guys can chat because he'll be able to speak to it a lot farther. Okay. Um, but there, Sorry, this is Jeff. Jeff Gwinnett, yeah, he okay. works uh, with the workplace strategy team at Colliers. Cool, um, but uh, it's there's benefits. It just depends on the company itself. So you can optimize your space for efficiency, for you know cost savings, mm -hmm. uh, reduce the floor plate required because you require less actual dedicated desks. Um, you have more of the floating model, mm -hmm. or there is the the collaboration and the kind of like building the community piece that you have when it's less uh, centralized. Cool. I mean, this is this is interesting. Do, do you have any case examples you can talk about, like? A particular company that came in and how you guys changed yeah, the work environment? Like we work with a lot of companies. Like Again, like I'll go more on the side of helping facilitate the actual workplace yeah. or workspace. So like whether they, what they require, what size, how it aligns with growth. Um, and so once it gets to a certain mm -hmm. scale, which is usually the 10,000 square feet, it makes more sense to actually optimize it. Um, but I, I, he'll <laughs> I'll connect you with Jeff. He'll be able to talk to all the case studies and all the examples they've okay. done. Okay, sorry, I'm just going deep dive into this. No, yeah, I know. It seems I, super... I, don't, I don't want to speak too much to his territory. Okay, so. perfect. Yeah. So your territory is more um, in talking to these, co these companies, like your more high-level strategy? Yeah, it's facilitating the space they require um, and aligning up a strategy that's going to work for them. Um, I think within Toronto is probably the most interesting market to be doing this in. Uh, it's like a 1% vacancy downtown. Landlords are requiring minimum five years. They want a company with you know a 10 to 20-year financial covenant. And that doesn't exist in tech. Mm -hmm. You know, these companies have been popping up. You know, they could be a year old, they could be ten. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of them are venture capital funded. A lot of them aren't pursuing profitability, and a lot of them need shorter terms for the flexibility and the growth. Absolutely. So and what are your thoughts on like co-working spaces? I'm a huge fan of co-working. Yeah. At uh, really any stage of growth. Um, right now, we're seeing institutional companies taking over space, predominantly in the WeWorks, um, because it aligns. They want like a branded space that's mm -hmm. young, it's fresh, and attracts the right talent. And again, it just it's a packaged version of that. Mm -hmm. And then you have at a younger scale or a, a younger stage, a space that's flexible to your growth. You can secure six months, a year, a year and a half. And as you do grow, you can scale within a portfolio of co-working. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so we recommend it a lot. There's a number of providers, you know, obviously WeWork has a lot of turmoil at the moment, um, but there's a number of providers that popped up kind of on the back of WeWork. Uh, they were the first co-working space to really get that kind of publicity and that attention, which then opened the doors for everyone else to come in and operate on a smaller scale. Cool. I mean, this is a really cool job you got to see all these things in action and, and to uh, be at the capability of um, giving that kind of, having that kind of lotus control, right? Mm -hmm. What's actually happening in, in uh, workspaces and the future of work. It's such an important topic right now, right? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? What does the future of work look like? I think it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of people with different <laughs> philosophies yeah. on how this is going to end up playing yeah. out. Um, I think remote work is going to be a huge disruptor. Mm -hmm. I also think at the moment, um, going back to co-working a bit, everything's centralized in the downtown core. Um, and that's where all the companies are. That's where the talent wants to be. But at a certain point, people aren't going to need to be in the office. They won't need to be surrounded by their peers. Yep. And it'll be more of you know flexible workspace providers popping up on the periphery and the you know surrounding city cores. And that way you can kind of commute from home, still have an office environment, but and then commute in for your meetings once a week. It's just um, whether or not, when we're building on mass in Toronto right now, whether or not we're gonna require actual dedicated office space to the same scale in the future, I have no idea. But right now it's getting eaten up rapidly. Amazing, All right? I mean, this is absolutely right. Like, I think this is what I'm looking forward to personally. I mean, <laughs> I personally like that kind of environment more than the confined kind of work, work environment we're used to. Right, more mm -hmm. hierarchical uh, hierarchy, um, corporate world where you know you kind of like sit down, you force to stay in one space, yeah. um, f focus on particular role you're in, and very and, and very little um, use of imagination or creativity. Right now, people are becoming more problem solvers, and because of that, they're it's more entrepreneurial. Right, totally. I, I think it was um, one of the co-founders of Angelist. I love talking to this guy because um, he talks about this a lot. How we're almost like technology is take, reverting us back culturally. We're like, in the last hundred years, industrialization has made us more focused on becoming part of these big, large companies. But technology is now flattening the kind of playing field mm -hmm. where everyone's kind of like becoming like a hunter or a farmer, right? Or like they're they're more in charge of you know their own lifestyle plus their own workspace. Instead of instead of joining a company and devoting you know 30, 40 years to this company. And you he's told what to do and do this and you have to take home a paycheck you're now forced to become independent and be more creative you have access to all these extra tools but now you're independently creative to get ahead and to figure out you know where is your paycheck coming from yeah and if you're good at it you can there's a lot of money to be made but if you don't it's gonna <laughs> suck <laughs> definitely right so i think education also uh, it, it's still so far behind that it's gonna i think it's gonna impoverish a lot of people who don't have the access to the tools or the learning required to like become more entrepreneurial yeah it's definitely. one of the inspirations for starting this really it's giving people more information that's out there mm -hmm. um and making it more engaging in whatever way we can it's cool lights or and everything else yeah um but the future of work is something that you know i think a lot of people are starting to take more seriously and uh, even me like that's one thing i it perturbs me a lot i mean what does that really look like when you know machines are doing mostly what middle management does now yeah um all these white collar jobs are for, for like after a long time is um pretty much up for debate do we need them or not yeah it'll be interesting i think the same thing came about in the industrial Re revolution i forgot mm -hmm. where i was reading this but it was everyone was scared that everyone was lose their jobs and yeah just new jobs popped up where you're maintaining the equipment or you're running the equipment and absolutely i, I assume it'll be somewhat similar obviously there's gonna yep. be a little more disruption when you can automate the entire process right 
But I mean, until those new jobs popped up and people got trained to get into yeah. those jobs and those institutions yeah. became to train them in mass, there's a wide group of people who don't have access to employment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a lot of homeless people in the 1930s, right? Fair enough. And yeah. it was right when a recession hits and a, a new indi- a revolution started, right? Mm-hmm. The information age. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, is that, you think it's going to happen again? Like looking um, at the homelessness, homelessness now and the, the risk of automation, like Andrew Yang, are you following Andrew Yang at all? Who's running the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he talks about it a lot. And yeah. like he's, he's, his talking points have really picked up stream, right? The idea that it's not immigration, immigrants taking away jobs or jobs being shipped away off seas. It's the fact that it's robots, it's AI, it's, it, it's automation that's taking away jobs. Mm-hmm. And what led up to like Trump being elected it was that uh, the same election year, Iowa, five million jobs were lost to automation, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, there's a correlation there. There's a whole yeah. bunch of angry people who don't know what happened to their exactly. livelihoods. Yeah. yeah, they need some sort of explanation, something to point the finger at. Right. Yeah. So I think more, as just the technology changes, it's going to change us culturally, where we're going to look for those kind of strong men to come and give us clear answers. Right? Yeah, yeah. And hopefully it's not Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're situated in Toronto, right? Pardon? You're situated in Toronto. I am, yeah. I right? I moved here about a year ago, actually. About a year ago. Yeah. Where are you from originally? Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. Must be a big difference here. There is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Considering the weather today outside, it's, yeah. Uh, I miss Vancouver a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Toronto is incredible, and it's a hub for technology at this point. Yeah. Um, Vancouver also has obviously you know some tech and some mm-hmm. innovation taking place, but just Toronto has a scale. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of the conversations we're having today are around the benefits for American companies to open up and expand within Toronto. Absolutely. Um, incredible incentives for any company coming in. The startup visa program to get any talent in about three months. Like, that's phenomenal, and it creates a very strong value prop for companies. To Absolutely. I mean, if you look around, like, everywhere in Canada is actually, the innovation is, economy is booming, right? Mm-hmm. Vancouver, even Halifax, PEI, these small t- smaller um rural areas are now aggressively growing right nothing close to toronto yeah, yeah. but um so you get you moved to toronto to here to pursue the growth here happening here or what, what happened so you moved to toronto from uh from vancouver mm-hmm. to pursue the growth happening here yeah exactly yeah um i, I just think it's the most interesting market in canada with all, all due respect to every other market in canada yeah because there's some great markets like montreal seeing incredible growth even ottawa mm-hmm. which caught me off guard i think yeah i'm um, seeing some phenomenal tech talent and offices opening up but Cool. Toronto's. So what's your thoughts? Like what's what's happening across Canada that stands out? Like, um, I think we're kind of slowly moving towards a less risk averse style. Mm-hmm. I think even in 2011, which is so when I came out of you know high school, mm-hmm. I started working in startups. Um, and back then it wasn't cool. It wasn't appealing. It wasn't attractive to anyone. Yeah. So I remember being excited about it. And it's like you talked to this entrepreneur who's starting up this company and you get behind his vision. It's like man, like, that's what I want. Yeah. And whereas everyone else I was speaking with, they're like, well, first of all, we're going to university first, um, which I ended up doing as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't my initial focus. And then beyond that, we want, you know, Fortune 500 safe, you know. Yeah. And it's uh, just shifted. Like, even in the last few years, I've seen more and more people kind of, they're excited about these companies. They're talking about tech mm-hmm. and people that previously had no, you know, real uh, interest in the space. Yeah. So I think Canada's kind of moving towards that as a whole. It's becoming more top of mind. I think a lot of that, just the headlines, you know, yeah. we're constantly inundated with Facebook and we works and what's taking place there. Yeah. So these big, like you, unico- the unicorns are pretty much driving mm-hmm. that face forward. Cause 
I feel like everyone's kind of lost on what's going to happen in the future. So they see these big companies that are doing well. And it's like, okay, let's follow on that kind of path. Let's do yeah. these big jobs. But if you look at what's succeeding, it's these companies that are focused, hyper-focused on one particular problem set and solving that, right? And um, we always like look at like Zuckerberg's the world, like, you know, mm-hmm. start the company when they're 20 years old and it yeah. blows up and becomes <laughs> a big thing. But a lot of innovation happens. The innovators are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Who have experienced like a lifetime of like working professionally, who have found a deep problem set, and and has has a deep fundamental knowledge of that industry or that problem and the solution they're crafting, and because of that experience, they're able to craft better companies. Yeah, hundred percent. More lo- lo- like uh, more tangible companies, right? With more tangible goals mm-hmm. instead of the lofty valuation based. Yeah. <laughs> you know the SaaS companies that are popping up everywhere now. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? Um, and that's what's really interesting is meeting some of these older entrepreneurs. Who do, you don't necessarily the new age entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur media doesn't really factor in too much, mm-hmm. right? When you Im, like imagine an entrepreneur now, you imagine like a twenty year old computer hacker, right? Totally. Yeah. Like you know hacking together a piece of software and like deploying it and like a million people downloading it and using yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, what does an entrepreneur look like to you? What do you think? Well, I kind of think you hit on the head. It's like it's people that understand a problem, yeah, and they want to work towards creating a solution, yeah. And the best person to do that usually is somebody who's worked in the space, worked in the industry, and understands what the problem is that they're yeah. trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's a lot. It's very exciting now, and there's a lot of guys creating apps and developing a piece of software, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's phenomenal, and I love that that's taking place. Mm-hmm. It's also just there's not always a you know a keen line of sight on the actual problem they're trying to solve. And that's, I think, where the issues kind of pop up. And then, you know, the valuations aren't there. They are there. And then they fail down the road. Yeah. But I think just, uh, yeah. Cool. So let's focus back on you for a minute, right? So you said you wanted to pursue startups. You wanted to uh, pursue that. But now you're more a very professional role yeah. in a pretty large company. How'd that, how'd that uh, come to be? You end up starting any companies of your own? Did you want to start any companies? Yeah. So before coming to Colliers, actually, I was working with a couple of partners to start okay. uh, a couple projects. Okay. Um, but basically, it's just, I'll, just, I'll start kind of from the beginning. I came out of high school, uh, was talking to a friend of mine who was also an entrepreneur, was starting this company. Sorry, this is in Vancouver? This is in Vancouver, yeah. Okay. And I uh, kind of got behind his vision, got very excited about it, and joined up with him. Eventually, the company, um, it didn't last, it fell through. Yeah. But it was a phenomenal experience. And so I had that taste of the startup world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I loved it. Um, and then kept on with that. So I eventually, I went to university. After deciding, fine, I should get a degree. It's you know I'm not just going to become an entrepreneur and you know do that. That's not my path. Yeah. And so did startups, stayed within that space for a bit, and then got recruited by Walmart corporate uh, to do the marketing strategy behind their grocery home delivery launch for Toronto. Nice. So it's kind of like a new innovative program for them. Yeah. Um, and I was excited about that aspect. Sorry, what, what year was this? When did Walmart want to do that? This was for Toronto. It was 2017. Okay. Yeah. So it went spring 2017. Okay. Um, they'd already launched, I believe, in the States. It was very segmented at that point, so it's a very different animal in Canada. Um, but it was the first city, the first pilot, and so I was like launching that. And I loved the access to data mm. and the resources you had, which I previously never had. So it yeah. was kind of like you're still working on an agile, innovative team, but you have those resources for a large company. And I, I, got, <laughs> I was very ap- attracted to that. Um, so I stayed with them for a bit. We brought it up to scale. Um, and then I left, and when I left, I left to start up a venture. Um, and so we were looking at, we were in Shenzhen for electric scooters. Nice. So going around visiting factories, yeah. um, you know, talking to the number of suppliers. And uh, we were actually looking to bring those into Tel Aviv. 
Okay. Which um, I haven't actually seen any stats to support this, but I believe is the single highest density of um, electric scooters and bikes per capita. Like it's in Tel Aviv, every person you see is just driving around an electric bike or a scooter. Really? Yeah. They and tax, do they have the infrastructure for it? Like, not really. No. No, <laughs> not even. It's they tax uh, automotive vehicles very heavily. Yeah. So it's it's a little harder to get access to transport, and so it's popped up a requirement, which they then filled the need with electric scooters and bikes. So they they tax like you mean what I mean like individuals who have their own cars. So the t when you import a vehicle into Israel, okay. it's, it's taxed very heavily, and so okay. it, it roughly doubles the price, I believe. Okay, and most cars are imported in, into Israel. Yeah, yeah, Israel doesn't manufacture any cars. Yeah, so, so that would suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would suck. Okay, yeah. wow. Okay, because uh, mm -hmm. one of our uh, previous guests came through here is uh, Roll Scooters, right? Um, they're a great company. They just launched in Kelowna, actually, mm -hmm. um, and they're launching an e-scooter company in, in Canada. Okay. Uh, what do you think of the market right now? I, I so like this is the same conversation we were having back then is like should we go into Canada and I just couldn't understand how you could bring a product you can only use three months of the year and then do it on kind of like a bird model like that didn't make any sense to me so like the only uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see who succeeds coming to Canada because you know looking at the weather today like it's you can only use it for so many months of the year um, and also the batteries can't handle the, the cold yeah so you cut the battery life at least in half it's uh it'll be interesting so that's why you never launched your e-scooter company? Well, that's why we didn't, weren't going to launch in Canada. So okay. it was kind of between the two markets. Oh, okay, yeah. um, and then we were looking at Tel Aviv. <laughs> After months of like you know visiting factories and everything else, we uh, finally found two products that were like made our cut kind of, like the criteria and like we saw a market for. And we went to bring them into Tel Aviv, and both of them didn't meet the requirements. So. Oh no! And we had the requirements all like written down. We had yeah. everything when we went over to China. It was just. There was a small piece that we had missed, and it was uh, oh, no. enough to kind of put that uh, to that the wayside. Sucks. Yeah, it, it was honestly it was a lesson. It was a great experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just didn't come to fruition. But at the same time, I was doing that. I was also uh, looking at commercial real estate, just as a, a space I thought was interesting, mm -hmm. some room for disruption. Um, I started talking to a few firms actually, and then Colliers as well. And so when I started talking to Colliers, they were very focused on the innovation, the tech, and the you know future proofing their company. And so that aligned really well, and there was an opportunity to kind of come on in a capacity to advise tech companies as they grow. Yeah. And that was very much the only thing in the space that would have made sense for me to do. Um, and so I jumped on it. It was, uh, you know, about a year back, actually, almost to the day. Okay. And it's been phenomenal. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, how's the growth been? Like, what do you, what do you, what kind of stuff do you see on a day to day? Um, it's, first of all, it's a, it's a very interesting market to play in. Like you have all these tech companies across Toronto and mm. everyone's excited to work with them now, which is fantastic. Like it's, it's really a space that a lot of people follow. Um, I think the biggest issue is just core advisory. Mm -hmm. So like tech companies, when they require workspace, are still going to traditional brokerages and working with traditional agents to get advised. We had one company, which I'm not going to name, um, they just closed a round. And they were advised to spend half of their round to build out an office space. It's like that's what? absurd. Like <laughs> that money's for growth. That money's to yeah. you know develop your product. Like it's sorry, did that come from the VC that it invested or no, 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 no. That was from the the brokers that they were working with to find their workspace. Of so course. it was, you know. Of course. Okay, they would. Yeah, no, no VC was yeah. gonna advise on that. But uh, it's just there's a, a huge gap of understanding because these tech companies aren't traditional ventures. You can't advise them the same way. Um, but there, there's never been that kind of education, that yeah. like knowledge internally. So it's, it's uh, 
there's a huge opportunity to give proper advisory okay. and to differentiate you know, yourselves and to help these companies grow because workspace is a huge part of what they do. Perfect. And that's a huge pain point right now in Toronto with the 1% vacancy. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a phenomenal time to be doing this. Um, I just also think every brokerage in Toronto should be putting the same focus on the, the tech and innovation sector and actually educating their, their agents, their brokers. Absolutely. Right. Perfect. So uh, now, do you personally give the advice or is it part of the team? Yeah. That work? Yeah. So myself. So again, like I've been there for a year, like uh, my role is to advise them on, you know, workspace, growth, uh, aligning the right solutions at the right time and also budgeting uh, and attracting the right talent. But I also work with a, a vice president within Colliers who has been in the industry for 30 years, understands the pieces of the market that I'm not as focused on. And so we collaborate and partner together to kind of give the full picture and the full advisory. I see that's really interesting. It's almost like this is pretty giant firm that kind of specialize on making all these other firms um, more effective and running the work environment. Yeah. And you guys are hyper focused on that in that problem set as a company. Yeah. Like it, it definitely like there's I think two ways it can be viewed within the industry. Certain firms are very focused on it. it's it's sales. Yeah. You know you're finding workspace. You're putting companies in workspace. And then there's the direction that's leaning towards is going to be advisory. Mm. You know, at a certain point, like there will be technology that can facilitate all the spaces in Toronto. You can view them at a glance online. There's no value to having a brokerage telling you this space is available. You really need a team or like a company that's going to advise you and align with your company, negotiate on your behalf, and make sure that you're covered for what makes the most sense for your business. So traditional brokerages are being destructed away, in a sense. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. the same reason why we have our prop deck accelerator and all this. Like, We're focused on future-proofing the company, and I think at a high level, our company understands that you know, the way we operate today is not going to be the same way we operate 10 years from now. Okay, perfect. Do you, have, do you have, Can you share that operational model, what that looks like in 10 years? In entirely my own opinion, I think we're probably going to slash headcount by you know half at least, yeah. probably more. Um, it's going to be a lot less people in the space, but the people that will be in the space will be the best. Mm -hmm. That's like a, a simplified way to say it, but like you're only going to have the people that really do add value that are able to last. Yeah, this really ties back in the future of work, right? Like mm -hmm. where technology has really simplified the workspace. I mean, what was it 20 years ago, the average accountant was pretty much a number cruncher, right? They're just yeah. copying cells from one one Excel sheet to another sheet because the computers at the time mm -hmm. didn't have the C, you know CPU to do that, <laughs> to for a macro to be programmed to run that kind of transaction. Yeah. But now, uh, I mean, SaaS companies have replaced that completely. Where it mm -hmm. replaced the company from having to need that the need for like having legions of accountants just pushing numbers around. And the same kind of thing that you're saying, right? It allows very high-functioning, high-level people to effectively run larger and larger um, companies, right? And, and solve the, solve at a greater scale, mm -hmm. solve problems at a greater scale. Um, so that's that's great that Colors is already doing that, thinking about that far ahead and understanding the process required. But in the meantime, what does that look like? Like, how do you, how do you currently advise your clients? Uh, well, it's going back to the question of like best practices, right? Yeah. If I was a startup. Okay, let's say I have 10 people, 30 people, 100 people, 200, I'm scaling. How do I effectively think about spaces? I think you have to understand that you don't know your exact growth. Okay. Like at that stage, it's very much kind of, everyone wants the cheapest option yep. for the most part. They yep. want to scale, you know, maybe they're bootstrapped. It's just but the money, the it goes a lot uh, farther. So it's they, they need to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. um, usually it is flexible workspace options at that point. You're looking at co-working, flex space. Um, 
it's not super interesting, but it's yeah. it just aligning spaces that can accommodate short term. Sorry, I just realized that's maybe smaller scale than the companies you're used to dealing with, right? What a little bit, yeah. Yeah, what scale do you guys deal, generally come involved at? We do a range. We will work with 10-person companies. Okay. I, I do all the time. Yeah. Um, it's just tech. It's high-growth tech. It's venture capital-backed yeah. companies. It's aligning them with the right solutions. Um, so what's your requirement for a company to come to you or you to go to a company? What do you look for in a company? Um, I look for growth. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's pretty easy to look at, oh, they're hiring or, oh, you know, they just closed around. It's you're just looking for growth. Mm -hmm. You know, if the company is operating in the same way that any traditional company is, like we don't really add value. We right. add value for companies that are in you know non-traditional uh, financial models. So like they have the venture capital, they have angel funding, whatever it is, um, or they're not pursuing profitability, or they're just barely profitable. Like we help align them with the right landlords, with the right options. Mm -hmm. um, and then for anyone's high growth, it's aligning them with the right solutions. Okay. So you know, it's very easy to find um, you know a space that's too big for you today and secure it for future growth, but it's expensive. You know, these things all have costs associated, and so it's aligning better solutions for today that align with future growth. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm, I'm trying to get like a formula in place, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say if a company is listening right now, and it's like, oh, we need to start worrying about workspaces, right? Mm -hmm. For them to be at a level where they can effectively come to callers and be like, hey, can you help us figure this out? or to get attention from you guys, right? Now, are they raising at like a Series A level, like $2 million plus? Um, are they growing, are they doubling in size? Like what's the growth pattern you're looking for? Like, what, what's the measurement? We don't have like a strict criteria a model? on that, no? but like usually it's doubling up over, you know, a few years. Yeah. Um, we've worked with companies where it ranges from, you know, 25% like growth year over year, which is, you know, on the low end, yeah. um, up to, you know, 300% growth. It's like they're just hiring on mass and it's, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's the beauty of, of these tech companies, right? There are companies like, I think like Wave Accounting, like was one of the top 10 growing Canadian companies. And in the last two years, they grew like 44,000%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're a phenomenal company yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, I mean, really great to think about this, right? So, like, how modern workspaces work. Um, any advice for companies who are thinking about this? CEOs who are like worried about this or trying to figure this out? Yeah, I, I would say start the conversations early. Uh, like a lot of a lot of, especially I find within tech, um, it's it's just very much not on the forefront of the mind. It's very much something that's newer for the earlier stage companies. Like mm -hmm. they're not used to the process for securing a large space. If you're, you know. 100 employees plus, you want to be looking two years out. Like yeah. you really, especially in Toronto as a market, you really need to be. Um, and then for, you know, earlier stage for anything really, you just want to have the plan in place. Whether it's going to be co-working, which you can do, you know, with a month's notice, you still want to have the plan in place and have all the options in front of you. And, you know, usually eight months is when we start searching, but it's the farther out, the more options you have and the more opportunity you have to kind of structure the conversation properly. Great. And how far out do you reach to for companies? Like where, like you handle companies all across Canada, or mostly predominantly focused in Toronto. Toronto. Um, our, our tech advisory services team has um, like dedicated uh, brokers in, you know, Vancouver, Montreal, uh, Toronto. Mm -hmm. But we're predominantly focused on Toronto. We will help companies that are scaling other offices and collaborate and fly out. But yeah. for the most part, it's a little any like non-traditional companies, like companies that need to work in multiple regionalities at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I think Dribble we're talking to and. Dribble is a company. Is the company is um, running completely remote. The entire company runs remotely. Now, I'm not sure how big they are as a company, but they've been around for a long time. Yeah, and they've yeah, been we're operating more and more of that. Today. Yeah, yeah. 
right? So any, any advice to those kind of companies? Do you work with them, any, any of those kind of companies? Yeah, we do. Um, at that point, we're more just kind of a middleman. We will partner yeah. with them with a, uh, you know, a flexible workspace provider that has locations in all the cities they require, and we'll just negotiate on their behalf. It's a pretty easy um, fit. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting model. It's, you just have to find the right group that can house you in all these cities. Yeah. And then ensure you're getting the right rate. And there's a few of those, you know. Yeah. We represent, uh, on a corporate level, they represent Regis and IWG, and they're the single largest flexible workspace provider globally. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'm trying to get more into your mind, right? Like, what, what do you think is, like, can you share some insights into how companies are thinking about these workspaces and the feedback about that? Because, like, I'm seeing it now, and, like, these, I, I get to travel around and see a lot of accelerators, a lot of co-working spaces, meet a lot mm -hmm. of cool companies working out of we work and all this and you see the differences in, in culture and how that changes with the with the workspace they're in um and one of the coolest places i've seen was like michael cronin um with the acquire agency they actually came on the podcast as well and they, they invited us down to their workspace and they work out of a co-working space that they're taking over yeah, i mean yeah, there's there's, a lot of that now. they're just growing to the point where they are taking over rooms by rooms by rooms mm -hmm. and uh, they chose their space because they're like an ad agency and this co-working space had access to two, three film studios, like film rooms, like oh, large rooms that can facilitate this stuff, right? In these, you know, this like niche of the area of the of, of the city, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, are there certain models being applied here, right? Is it, uh, how are people fi figure, figuring out these workspaces? What are the what are the what are the what are the thought leaders right now talking about when it comes to like running an effective workspace? Yeah, for sure. I think like touching on an agency, their focus tends to be more on the brand reflection and you know creating a culture. Mm. And so it, a lot of co-working spaces will provide that packaged. Mm -hmm. um, but it really should be attracting the right talent, um, portraying the right environment, um, and then also optimizing your space to the workflows. So like yep. the teams and making sure that that lines up. Like 10 years ago, the conversation was all, we need open concept. And today we know that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Not all teams function open concept. You know, mm -hmm. one loud environment is not conducive to, you know, sales and programmers next to each other. So it's it's aligning your space to your teams. Yeah. And that becomes more and more important the larger your team is. Um, earlier on, you can't really focus on that. You know, you're not able to segment your office and build it out accordingly. Um, you can only really do, you know, you find environments that are pre-built out or you, you look at, you know, options like co-working that are furnished and figure out how you want to lay out your teams. Um, but it's, it's really, yeah, it's understanding your company or partnering with somebody who can help you understand your company and their requirements. And then I think the, the most important thing really is for a lot of companies is talent attraction and recruitment. And that's, you know, your space is easily the best way to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really interesting about the, the open work concept, right? Open workspaces concept. So I, I was actually looking up into this and it was apparently the, the first open concept office was designed by like this very well-known designer went on to win awards, but he designed the office to be, yes, be open to allow facilitate people to find each other, but it had nooks and crannies of people to hide away from each other mm -hmm. to facilitate like private conversations and private groups to be formed. Um, so people feel, feel like they're like, they are, are smaller groups within a larger tribe almost and they're floating around and they can self form different groups as required for projects, for certain issues, thing with that. And com because of the, because of how uh, well this, the company uh, the operator there was, and how famous the workspace was, become it, it was trying to be it was um, copied 
right? Yeah. Almost like a like a copycat model where these nooks and crannies kind of got left out. They they, yeah. they just touted the open concept, and it was more of an efficiency play, right? More more efficient to set up an open office than put up all these walls and plan ahead and all these things. But because of that, like because it missed that second fa- fa- feature of it, where it facilitated like smaller groups to form within a larger space, it became kind of a flop. Yeah, yeah right. Because people hated it. Mm-hmm. It was too loud, too loud and noisy because the noise traveled across. Uh, people just felt like anxious having everybody walk around. Their bosses walking around always with an eyesight. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, one of the things that uh, even like even for uh, Facebook, I think um, they had like a large warehouse space, and where Mark Zuckerberg would have an elevated desk in the center, yeah. where everyone could see him at all <laughs> all times, but yet he can see everyone else. Yeah. I mean, how how amazing, how frustrating would that be? One as a boss, yeah. knowing everyone can see you, so you're kind of forced to work. <laughs> okay, that makes you work, but like how creatively, right? And how free do you feel? Mm-hmm. And second of all, how free do people that work for you feel, right? If you're always with an eyesight of your boss, yeah. your boss's boss's boss, right? Um, so, like these workspace designs, like I've noticed in the past few years how important it is to design of a good space. Yeah. Right? Like, how interested are you in the design process of these things? Like, um, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I don't, I don't play around with it at all. You don't. Um, I wouldn't pretend to have any expertise really, um, but it's interesting to watch these companies and kind of like they have a lot of companies now are doing a one-to-one model. If they have desk to like open or common area where they can sit yeah. and just kind of figuring out a way to, to layer your office that it's functional. But uh, a lot's taking place. It changes every year. There's new you know, philosophies on what's the best fit and we'll see how it goes. Definitely. What about um, the technology being used in workspaces? Can you share a little bit about that? Like, you know, I talked a little bit about the lights and those capabilities. Is there anything else going on right now that can be deployed across the workplaces or you guys are working on? How, how's the technology being blended in? Yeah, I think um, like on a level we do work with is just tracking sensors. Yeah. So for utilization, um, movement, environment. Yeah. Um, and you can do it. Yeah, with lights. You can do it with small sensors. You can do it with, you know, when the computers come on and off. It's just different costs associated. Yeah. But yeah. One of the coolest tech I've seen so far is um, as a company out of Venture Labs, and um, they what's it called? Henry, do you remember that Spaces? So the um, the company that does. Uh, the retail AI, and they have spaces too. I can't remember the name, Yeah. Anyway, so they they have these they have these like tiny IoT devices that are the five year battery life. Yeah. That you can put on on seats or under seats, like a pressure sensor. Yeah, exactly. So now you know who's sitting where, right within within environment, co-working space or office environment. How how your space being utilized? Mm-hmm. Your space is free or being overutilized? Things like that. Really interesting. All right. Um, so. But the same thing can be done with like an AR camera that can put up and that can can view like you know like can look around and actually read the room. Right? Like machine learning software can read the room, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many different technology plays that can use use the same kind of function. Yeah. I'm kind of interested in who's actually doing that. Is it the designers who are designing with tech, or is it two different agencies? Like you know, someone designs how the furniture and it'll look like, yeah. and a different element comes in and like and like this the information technology. Yeah. Or is uh, like someone like you guys who blend it, blend them together. So we do the blend, but we don't develop the tech. Yeah. Right? The, the the tech, the design, it's all sourced out of house. Yeah. Um, and same for like the design agencies who do like the office layout. Like they're not developing any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that just wasn't their expertise. <laughs> you know, it'd be a, a very bold pivot. Yeah. But uh, it's mostly just there are providers coming up with this technology, and it's got relevancy now. Yeah. People are more focused on that. They are more interested in kind of understanding their office space. Absolutely. 
And I think that's one of the interesting things is that we're seeing all these bold new tech, but it's not necessarily being deployed that aggressively across workspaces. People are still very hesitant. Yeah, it's a cost benefit. And yeah. like you have to really get them to understand what the benefit of understanding the workspace is. Mm -hmm. Because it's still like anything you develop, you have to you know then sell it and make they really convey the value, which companies have been offering for 20, 30 years, and they've been fine, quote unquote. But uh, it's it's changing now, and especially with you know these younger, more agile companies, and even companies like Deloitte, they're giants, but they want to stay in the forefront. Mm -hmm. They are more focused on incorporating this technology. They do understand the value of understanding their employees, their their work styles, etc. Amazing. So, I mean, anything else you want to cover? Everyone talk about. I know we haven't brought up your website yet. Um, you want to bring it up? Oh, it's cool. No, it's it's literally just our team page. This is your team um, page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing too exciting, but cool. Just the. Canadian Tech Advisory team. All right. Anything else you're involved with? Like, uh, what else is going on with you? Um, I'm just joining on with uh, Toronto Business Development Center um, on a mentorship capacity. Okay. Um, so just kind of advising new companies coming. So you love this stuff. Canada. You love talking to more and more companies. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Yeah. yeah. I, I love tech. Like, if I ever leave Collier's, I would I would go back into the tech sector. But right yeah. now, it's kind of hitting all my buttons of I get to work with the tech sector. I yeah. get to do what I love. What What's the most interesting thing in tech? Um. Right now, I would say prop tech is probably one of the most exciting spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of opportunity for you know, mass disruption. And I think one of the benefits of our project accelerator, without sounding like I'm plugging it, yeah. um, is it really the biggest barrier to entry for a lot of like the institutional prop tech is the partnerships. Yeah. And so Colliers has kind of leveraged their knowledge and understanding that they hold those partnerships, um, the industry expertise, we're a very traditional industry. Mm. And then we've also partnered with Techstars, who has kind of the innovation focus and understanding of developing a technology. So it's, it's been phenomenal in terms of the results they've, they've uh, brought out. Yeah. But uh, it's very much as like aligning these companies with the right industry partners and making sure they're willing to at least hear them out. Yeah. But a lot of them are very resistant to evolving. Absolutely. I mean, it's this is such a contrary to what we're used to hearing. I know, but like, even like, like the culture before used to be that why would a large company help me ever develop my technology or ever help me develop as a business, right? It's always like, if you're a small business owner, you're supposed to defend yourself. Yeah. Right? The big players will want to scoop you up or screw you over because, you know, they're large and they're, and uh, they don't want to be disrupted. They don't, you know, they understand that they have these paywalls up. They have these walls up that defends their territory and that, that they're inked into. But, um, I mean, for everyone we talk to, I mean, these large companies, like you're the ones you work with, are so open, mm -hmm. right? Like, yes, come in and show us how you're playing disrupt. We'll work with you and share that information. Share that information that we know. Um, that cultural shift, has, I think, happened slowly over the last 20 years, right? Definitely. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's larger corporates understand that they have to evolve. Yeah. They've, they've seen, you know, their you know, fellow companies fall, and it's, they understand that. Yeah, and what's interesting is like how these large companies have such a they they're built they built almost like a ecosystem around themselves of smaller companies that service them and like with smaller, smaller, uh, for smaller, smaller problem solve sets that they, they solve. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah Perfect. So we'll, we'll wrap up here. Right. Anything else? Any last plugs you want to play? Put in? No, no. Perfect. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. You're good. Thanks. Well, um, all right, man. Thank you so much for coming here. Uh, talking about prop tech and talking about all things colors is doing, um, really interesting to have you on, man. And it's been great. Thank you. Thanks. It really has. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Perfect. Thanks.